Hello and welcome to our first edition of the Star Wars only version of the Swinging Bunt Baseball Podcast. Today we are just figured with the finale of the Clone Wars, the series finale coming out today on Star Wars May the 4th that it deserved its own episode. So happy Star Wars Day and May the 4th be with you. I know that I'm personally enjoying the day quite a bit. One of the most uh, memorable Star Wars days in history that I can remember. Um, a lot of things going on. The closing of the Clone Wars, a Mandalorian docuseries coming out. Um, some news about movies as well. So without any further ado, we've got a big show coming to you guys. We have a few extra guys on the show, and we're really excited. So enjoy the show. Heck yeah. I'm okay. Sorry for what happened earlier. I almost killed you. How widespread is this? Ahsoka, it's all of us. The entire Grand Army of the Republic has been ordered to hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. So, since we last talked, there have been two episodes of Clone Wars. The series finale started today. Guys, what are your general opinions? Wes, as my co-host, what jumped out to you right off the board? Oh man, I mean so much. I mean the we finally get we finally get to see, you know, what we we get to see kind of the the pinnacle of what what happened after Order 66 with we get to see more of it because in mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith we saw a bunch of guys getting shot, but we didn't see that the actual action behind it, you know, what happened after that. It all moved now very quickly. Yeah, yeah, we're, there was so much going on. Loved it. Um, so much to talk about, which I won't steal everyone's thunder. So, but that, yeah, that's just it. We definitely have a lot to talk about here in this uh, short podcast we're about to do. So, uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts on this so far? Just uh, initial opening thoughts. Uh, initial opening thought would be that it's not over. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a completion. Like, this was a thought that was brought to fruition. It, it, it wasn't something that was just like chapter book turn the page something else like it really wound things up together it brought a lot of things into a larger context but then it it, it tied bows on those in a sensible way mm-hmm. like i feel like it told a whole story it didn't just stop arbitrarily i felt like it gave us the perfect ending to a story that was left cut abruptly short well yeah like we waited 12 years mm-hmm. so yeah i kind of feel like yeah. And, and it just wound everything together very masterfully. David? Um, yeah, I I agree. And then, in, like Charlie said, it kind of opened up the door. And, you know, there might be more we get to see out of this. And in that's, form of media. that's what's so exciting to me, is there was such a negative attitude among some fans about the way Disney, Disney was handling Star Wars. Um... Even after The Mandalorian, we had Rise of Skywalker, which I personally enjoyed, but I know a lot of people had their issues with it, and I have Mm -hmm. my issues with it as well. But just going forward, Disney even says, we're taking a three-year break in movies because we have to figure out what we're doing. And um, I think that a lot of fans are left just frustrated and scared about what Star Wars is going to be doing in the future. And I just think that how much this last season has hit home, like you said, David, really presents 
a hope for the future of how Star Wars can continue. John, what are your thoughts? I would definitely agree with everyone. And one thing that I'm looking forward to is getting is watching all of three parts throughout the whole season in one serration. Because you know, usually we we want to watch all of uh, the episodes when they come out. But when when I can finally sit down and watch the Siege of Mandalore all the way through, I think that's going to be a great. I'll get a better understanding of, of what's going on exactly. But of course, with what I think Filoni likes to do is he likes to leave the end open for future stories. Because like as as the, the story child of Lucas, there's always a story to tell. And mm-hmm. so I think he's probably, whether or not he tells it, he wants another story to be told in there. And I absolutely agree. I think that's one of just the, the heights of this arc is... You know, it's not like Ahsoka died and her story ends. She personally, as a character, mm. has so much story that can be told, uh, whether it be after Return of the Jedi, whether it be between um, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, or whether it be about her looking for Ezra. Whatever it is, there's still so much story that can be told with her. So I totally agree with that. And just so you know, um, I watched all four episodes in sequence today, mm-hmm. and it is an amazing experience. It's really cool. So I encourage you all to do that. Um, of the arc so it was really cool it took about like an hour and 20 minutes or something like that yeah um but it, it felt like a movie and i feel like that's how if if it were me i would have released it that way all four episodes as one uh whole sequence but it is what it is it, i still loved it and enjoyed it cj what are your thoughts uh, just before we start getting into the nitty-gritty on the last two episodes just on thought... this arc or anything as a whole whichever you prefer i don't care well i think Especially the last arc added a lot more emotional impact to episode three. Because mm-hmm. in the first two movies, you don't really see, you don't really know the clones, right? Right. And so in this, you get to see Order 66 through the eyes of like people that actually knew each other. Right. And how much of a betrayal it actually was. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in a way that you don't experience beforehand. The, like you said, the emotional impact is magnified. <laughs> I mean, to a level that you just can't really quantify. Just thinking about how these clones, the whole series, they have been humanized to make sure a point of this show was to show the difference between clones and droids. These clones aren't mindless drones. Now, they're treated like expendable and uh, expendable droids, honestly. They're created for the purpose to die. And that's something that the show wrestles with the whole time, the m- morality of it. Um, the clones are grateful to the war for being created, but they don't want to just fight and die. But at the same time, it's the only thing they know. And they have emotions, they have feelings, they have connections that they make with people, but then they also obey every order that's given to them because they are programmed to an extent just how droids are. And we got to see that, that fight. Uh, in Rex and in the other clones, and I just thought it was, it was huge. It makes it so much more meaningful than the first three movies ever did. Mm-hmm. So. How great of a moment was it with Ahsoka and Rex talking there on the bridge about, you know, it's oh, it's 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 tough doing this because uh, so many of us believe the war's wrong, but without the war, we wouldn't be here. Like mm-hmm. such a powerful moment. Such it, a powerful. Moment. It really is. Um, and we're going to get into all of that here in the next 45 minutes to an hour here. So let's go ahead and start working through the episodes. 
Uh, so we already discussed the first two. We discussed the Phantom Apprentice and Old Friends Not Forgotten, which to me were the build-up and the peak. Um, I think the peak of this, or the climax of this arc, went through episodes two and three. Um, and to a point, almost all four episodes of this arc, I should say nine and ten, or ten, eleven, <laughs> were a big climax. This whole thing was so intense. Um, but when we look at episode eleven... We see Darth Maul being captured. He's uh, uh, tied up on the transport ship. And Bo-Katan and Ahsoka are getting ready. Uh, or are, I'm sorry, I need to, I'll be cutting this out, all the stuttering. <laughs> but anyways, Bo-Katan and Ahsoka are looking over the situation at Mandalore and seeing how the war is coming to an end on Mandalore. The occupation, not so much. They need a new ruler. A few different interesting things going on there that maybe in a future episode of the show we can discuss because there's some really cool stuff about you know everything that pertains to rebels with that but as far as the meat of this episode goes they have their conversation they say goodbye and they get aboard the venator ship to take darth maul to the jedi council on coruscant and from that point on um we go through several minutes of no dialogue which is something I think was done so well in these episodes, is we know what's coming. The inevitability of Order 66 coming within just a few minutes, we know it has to be coming soon, uh, creates this tension that you can sense throughout the whole episode. And the lack of people talking makes you really dwell in your own thoughts. And the music that's playing alongside all of this is just really forcing the moment that you know is coming until Rex senses the same thing that we do, that something's not quite right with Ahsoka. And th their conversation that comes right after that, I think is one of the most meaningful moments in the show. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I completely agree. That's one of the things I really noticed. Even, like as you said, the music to it, it really has this like solemn tone to it. Mm -hmm. and, and it don't, you know, nothing's going on. It honestly makes you think that capturing Maul and all the things that happened in that little arc there didn't really matter because something bigger is going to happen. Well, and it's exactly that. I think that the final name of the episode of the, or I'm sorry, the name of the final episode, Victory and Death, just kind of embodies the Clone Wars. They gained victory. There was so much happening that people were getting excited about. The Clone Wars was coming to an end. It looks like the Republic are about to win. Ahsoka and Rex just had this huge victory. They captured Maul and they liberated Mandalore. There's so much, gr so much positivity going on. Yet you sense in the characters something's not right and no one's really excited. It's still so somber. And uh, I think that that was just done masterfully. Yeah, going back to that, like, I don't know if you guys have played Knights of the Old Republic 2. That's like the whole scene, the whole uh, theme of the game. It's just this theme that, you know, something's going going on in the behind the scenes that nobody mm -hmm. knows about. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> kind of made me reflect on that. I can't remember who it was. It may not have even been on our show, but just discussing... Palpatine's plan is so masterful and he is so ingenious for all of this to happen. When Maul 
is eventually liberated by Ahsoka, and he sees how ingenious he calls Palpatine's plan brilliant to use the Grand Army of the Republic that the Jedi wanted to fight alongside them to betray them. It's just it, it's honestly so well written and just such a a master play of Palpatine to have so orchestrated all of this to happen in such a perfect timing. I mean, and then watching Revenge of the Sith and everything, it just pulls it all together. Charlie? Yeah, you know what really um, helped me understand that was I read the Plagueis novel. Mm. And and if you read that novel, you really see like what the Sith's deal was and what a role Palpatine played in it. And then how much he even played uh, Plagueis mm-hmm. in that. Like it really like I would read a three book series just on like Palpatine being a sleazy senator. Yeah. And yet like here <laughs> here he is literally pulling every puppet string in the galaxy. Right. And and we really feel it. I think there's an awesomely untold story in what was gonna happen with Maul when they got him back to Coruscant. Oh, absolutely. Like, like I, I would read an alternate ending mm-hmm. where like Maul ends up on because those are those are the shock troopers that come and pick him exactly. up. Like that's mm-hmm. Alf's right hand man. Mm-hmm. Like like Stuff was going to go down. It was funny. I was watching this with Rachel, and she's like, Jake, why is it that there are always red clones whenever something bad happens? <laughs> I was like, it's interesting <laughs> you bring up that point. <laughs> so true. Um, astute observation. Yeah, I was proud of her when she said that. Um, so <laughs> I, I feel like we're jumping over the place, but just natural conversation leads to where it leads. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation between Ahsoka and Rex. Rex says, Ahsoka, what's wrong? And she talks about the theme that has brought up so many times in Star Wars. The Jedi are meant to be peacekeepers, not soldiers. And I think that's where this brings a huge connection to all of Star Wars, not just Revenge of the Sith, not just to um, the prequels, but the Jedi we see have become something that they're not supposed to be. They've become a political organization that's tore up in the in the dealings of uh, the, the government. Whereas before they were their own organization back in the olden days, before the Republic, where they were able to govern themselves. And that's where we see this lust for power that the Jedi have. Um, something that was so well discussed in The Revenge of the Sith and in this scene that we see the crossover scene actually between um, the hologram conversation between Yoda and, o- and Mace Windu and the other Jedi there saying that if Palpatine does not relinquish his power, Mm -hmm. we'll have to take control of the Senate. Back when I used to watch Revenge of the Sith and see that scene, I just thought, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's what you would do. But if you think about breaking that down, the Jedi taking over control of the Senate would be tyranny. It would be uh, a state... a police force. A police force, exactly. A police state... A police state, that's exactly what I'm, the word I'm looking for. This is a military coup, is really what that would be. Um, they ha- the generals have control over the armies, and they'd be saying, we're using our go- or military might to take over the Senate, which is supposed to be the governing body. I think that that just really points to the situation that Palpatine created to create these Jedi who are so primed to take over. Because their lust for power, honestly blinded them to everything that was going on around them and you know whose fault that is it's yoda's yoda's <laughs> a real bad guy i would still <laughs> lean towards kiati mundi but i thought jar jar <laughs> 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 
Oh, but the I, was, I, the, I took the odd route and uh, watched Attack of the Clones today, and uh, I don't know why, just something told me to watch it, but uh, now that we're kind of talking about the Jedi kind of going odd routes, the first thing that we see from Yoda is him barking orders to clones, and then Mace Windu getting on the ground, command, you know, the, the clone comes up to him, so there's five commando units awaiting your order. They just sounded like soldiers, not Jedi. And I thought that was interesting to think about that, you know, we've got to the point where we're talking about the Jedi being corrupt and going away from being Jedi and now they're soldiers. It started right there. And it, they didn't even sound like Jedi. They sounded like soldiers. Crazy and, to think about. And I think that, to an extent, that's what we want in Star Wars. We want to be seeing these Jedi soldiers because that's when Star Wars is yeah. the most entertaining. I mean, like, Conflict. Knights of the Old Republic and the prequel era is just so entertaining. Um, but I think right. it's something that the Jedi have to, they have to balance, just like with everything. They can be these soldiers that are saving the galaxy, but it has to be a role that they are fulfilling and not their identity. You know what I mean? And that's where I think that the corruption came in. Um, but where we are going off the rails a little bit, but that's where all these connections from Clone Wars really go into. Another thing with Yoda is he, um, right from the beginning of the clone army, was very skeptical of the whole thing, you remember? And he was also very skeptical of the clone army starting. Like, he always, his wisdom is so great, he can see the dangers and everything. He talks about a dangerous, or dark path this line of thinking will take us. Um, all of this, he knows, is just not the way things should be. Because if we remember, the guy's like 800 and something years old. So, he's seen a lot of this. He's seen the Jedi before it was this way. If we look... If we look at what Disney's creating now is the High Republic, when the Jedi are supposed to be at their peak, there are no Sith Lords during this time, about 400 years before all this happened. But Yoda's, you know, in the prime of his life back then, so he knows what sh the Jedi should be doing. And I think that he's seeing things not going the way that they're supposed to. And it just, all of these things happening creates just this really deep story that I think is going so well. So, Ahsoka and Rex, they have this conversation. Someone else talk about this because my mouth is getting dry. <laughs> Anybody? I'll cut this out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on what happened. Okay, well, they, they talked about you, their it friendship. Gives you a little bit of that underlying reason for Rex resisting. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yeah. you talk about fives and that line that he gives in his report that he owes it to fives to report on what he saw. Mm -hmm. You know, so honest, there's there's a level of loyalty to his clone brothers there, but there's also that loyalty to Ahsoka and to the Republic, and there's a lot going on in Rex. Mm -hmm. So when Order 66 comes, it's, it's not coming to, you know, let's bash on Cody for a minute. Right. You know, we've yeah. never seen Cody do anything other than what he's told, mm -hmm. and yet we've seen Anakin, as, or Rex, as Anakin's captain, be Anakin-ish. Right. So when Order 66 come, here's this guy with all these deep emotional attachments doesn't automatically react. Mm -hmm. And I just loved how that conversation between the two of them talking about the connection that they've built and the purpose that they've had for each other goes straight into the scene of Order mm -hmm. 66 being ordered by Palpatine. And like you said, it just gives so much more credence to what's about to come. Just that one short conversation that they have on the bridge of that ship gives a lot of emotional weight to that. So we see Sidious give the order to Rex to execute Order 66, and, and Ahsoka this whole time is sensing what is happening 
on Coruscant as Anakin chops off Windu's hand. He goes flying out the window in glorious electric uh, death. Unlimited power. And Palp's got his unlimited power. And Ahsoka, I thought one thing they did really well with this was they used the original voices of mm-hmm. for that scene. I thought that was really cool. It really rang home when they did that. But then Matt Lanter, the voice of Anakin in the Clone Wars, was mixed with Ahsoka when he said, what have I done? So if you go back and listen to that, it sounds really yeah. cool to kind of see their, uh, their the way they worked with that. But anyways, moving on to it, Ahsoka senses it and she says to Rex, something's wrong with Anakin. And you see Rex's fist and his mask shaking and just trembling because he knows what he was just told to told to do. He knows he can't stop it, but he remembers the arc with or the episodes with uh, Fives, where Fives told him that this exactly was going to happen. And Rex, I think, knowing that is what was able to give him a little bit of pause to try to tell Ahsoka. You know, all the other clones that we see just instantly did it by just like Charlie said. The emotional connection, the history that he has with Fives, and and the um, uh, the meaning of his relationship with Anakin and ability to move past just all protocol is really the only reason Ahsoka's alive. Because I think if if Rex just turns around and fires, I think Ahsoka dies, right? So probably. I don't know, man. You saw what she did on that hollow table. That woman knows how to deflect some blaster bolts. Holy cow. (laughs) I mean, to go through... She probably received over 500, maybe even more, bolts coming at her. And took one to the knee. That's it. (laughs) In the two episodes. (laughs) Well, And then in in Star Wars Theory... I don't know if you guys watch Star Wars Theory on YouTube. Yeah, I do, yes. But he, in his analysis of the episode, he said... Uh, Ahsoka chops the ceiling with her lightsabers, but she no, deflected. She the deflected. Bolt yeah, covered, I know. Amazing. He said the same thing. Sometimes I watch these YouTubers. And I'm like, you guys are supposed to be experts, but you're ridiculous. Just watch the show before <laughs> you say things. Um, but anyways, yeah, he said, yeah, she chopped up the light. No, she deflected about 600 rounds into the ceiling and made a hole for herself to go yeah. through. It was so cool. <laughs> she did some freaking awesome things. And honestly, that's one of the things that I love about animation is you can't get this stuff in live action. Um, yeah. I mean, you can get a form of it, but just with animation, you can do so much more. And I just, I'm, I'm all for it, man. <laughs> um, but Ahsoka escapes. She's on the run, and Rex is fully converted over to Order 66 mode. He orders the clones. The same clones. This really hit home for me too. Are still wearing her markings on her hel- yeah. their helmets. Yep. The markings that they made to honor her, to respect her for coming back because they've worked with her before and they have this connection. It just made this betrayal so much harder to watch. Um, I was really not looking... I said to Rachel, I am not looking forward to watching Ahsoka kill clones. And I'm so glad we didn't have to. I'm so glad. Um, Well, you think about, like, Ahsoka's perspective, how, like, from just a human perspective, how scary is it to be being hunted by one of the greatest clone units of all time? Mm -hmm. Now she's on the run. A couple droids helping her out. Like, that's just crazy to think. Huh, it was absolutely wild. So then we go, and Ahsoka says, I have to find some way to get out of here. She goes over to Darth Maul and releases him to what he thinks to be, hey, finally, time to team up. Ahsoka lived. Also, before we do that, I want to talk about that awesome cage that the Mandalorians made for four yeah. Wasn't that sick? Yeah. Thought, that was classic. I thought like, just... Uh, what is it? <laughs> I mean, so we know about the Mandalorian and Jedi War from millennia before. And apparently there's leftover relics of it that they're used, they make them to um, stop 
Force users from being able to use their powers to escape, and I just thought it was awesome. Very Hannibal Lecter looking. You got the idea. Yeah, Hannibal. (laughs) You get the idea of Darth Maul just planning and plotting this whole time, and just observing everything around him without the ability to act on any of it. I thought it was really well done, but also just the intricacy of this cage was so awesome. You think back to season one, or even just the last arc with the girls. (laughs) <laughs> and everything's so simple and flat. But then they just take this one cage and say, you know what? Let's spend a bunch of money on just making this thing look freaking awesome. The art on it and the uh, the ancient writings and everything. Man, I loved it. You got to see Mandalore and some Mandalorian with the Darksaber. I just I paused that several times just was looking at it just because it looked so cool. But anyways, Ahsoka. Looking, oh, go ahead, Wes. Hold on. Looking back now, it's too bad Anakin didn't know about this this kind of containment unit, because when Mace Windu said, he's too dangerous to be left alone, he could have been like, no, look at this thing over here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have been great. (laughs) There's a lot of missed opportunities. Um, Anybody else have something to say before we move on again? So I think, I think Filoni and crew knew that, that people were going to throw around the fact that, oh, Ahsoka's not a Jedi anymore, so Mm -hmm. they're not going to turn on her. So I think that's one of the reasons why the whole episodes, they were forcing, like, oh, everyone was saluting Ahsoka and stuff like that. I think that was really them kind of concreting the fact that, oh yeah, yeah she's still basically a Jedi. Absolutely. She is a Jedi in everything but name. Uh, she's serving the Galactic Republic. She's using the light side. She's helping people. She's actually probably the only person who is a Jedi <laughs> uh, properly. You know what I mean? She's doing what yeah. the Jedi are supposed to be doing. And I thought that was uh, really well done. And um, you're totally right. Throughout this whole arc, they're showing that even Yoda says, oh, you're not doing this as a Jedi? No, I'm just doing this as a citizen. Ahsoka, citizens don't do this kind of thing. (laughs) These are the things that Jedi do. Can we talk about Mace Windu for a second? Sure, sure. Because I always thought there was a disconnect in the character portrayed in the Clone Wars and the character we see in, like, Return of the Sith Mm -hmm. or Revenge of the Sith. Absolutely, I agree. And I think this episode did a really good job of bridging that gap. Mm-hmm. Because you, we really understand, like, the way he treats Ahsoka in that conference is the way he treats Anakin. Anakin. Mm-hmm. Like, like, pat, 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 you stay in the Jedi chamber, me and these other schmucks are going to go arrest Palpatine. Mm-hmm. No, you're not a master yet, but you can, you, can sit on the, you can sit at the big kid's table, but you don't get to use big He's kid's He's very table. elitist. He is. He is. And when when he turns to Ahsoka and calls her citizen, it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's the Mace Windu from the prequel movies. And I think part of that is because they wanted Mace Windu to be a character that you liked, and I don't right. think that he necessarily was in the prequel movies. Um, now, he was right to not trust Anakin. It's interesting that we're all rooting for Anakin this whole time, knowing that he's going to be Darth Vader, um, and sure. saying, Mace Windu, give him a shot! <laughs> um, but it's like, eh, Mace is actually the wise one here. But, no, you're totally right. I think that they do bring that character back full circle, and we're seeing a lot more of who he actually is than the Clone Wars rendition of them. Um, okay, so Ahsoka tells Maul, look, we're not teaming up. We're not going to escape together. You are simply a distraction. I'm not even rooting for you. I hope you die. Um, yeah. It's the best line. I thought it was great. He's like... He says, you're not even giving give me a fighting chance. She says, I'm not rooting for you. <laughs> I thought that, that was, was pretty so cool. Good. Yeah. Oh and then we got to see Darth Maul do his own version of the hallway scene that Vader gets in Rogue One. 
and holy cow, was that awesome. He's got he's created his own shields just from panels on the walling and just mauls literally all these clones. Um, I thought it was such an impressive scene. Any notes on that? You get you get one side where Ahsoka's like, I don't want to kill anyone, Rex. I'm not going to kill anyone. And <laughs> mm-hmm. Maul's just like, dead, 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 head chopped off, dead, dead, dead. <laughs> yeah, both got, got my cake and ate it too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he was uh, asking Ahsoka for a lightsaber t- for a fighting chance. I think he was doing just fine. <laughs> See, yeah, what were you going to say? Cool. Uh, I was going to say, I think it's interesting how... It really shows how gruesome the Force can be, mm-hmm. and how, like, I don't know, we all talk about how the will of the Force and how it's kind of guiding everything, but in some ways mm-hmm. it really is exactly. just, like, an overpowering weapon, because mm-hmm. those are all highly trained troopers. They're not stormtroopers, so they don't miss, and he <laughs> is just absolutely decimating them with nothing. Yeah. Just, it's a hallway. It's like shooting fish in a barrel, and they still can't hit them. Yeah, it I was mean, ridiculous. I think that's the most intimidating I've ever seen a Force user portrayed in, like, film so far. I would... nuts. I would absolutely agree. I mean, it's only short of Palpatine just electrifying the entire fleet above him in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> um, that was but, pretty ridiculous. That was pretty ridiculous. This was at least somewhat believable. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I totally agree. The Force can be bent and twisted. And that's where the whole... I wanted to talk about this maybe in a different episode a little bit more. I'll touch on it really quickly. We talk about balance of the Force and how uh, po- the Force seeks balance. I honestly... The more I read into it and the more I look into it, the, the light side being so strong is the balance of the Force. Right? Balance is when the light mm-hmm. side is prevailing. The dark side of the force is what causes imbalance because the force becomes um, mutated and bent to the will of the people that are using it. And that's why you see something so aggressive like you just brought up, CJ, that Maul uses. Yes, CJ, or Charlie. Bring me back for that conversation because I will take the con to that approach and okay. you will have a great time. Absolutely. So we'll have to do that maybe another time. So anyways, yeah, moving on. Oh, go ahead. the dark side. That, that would maybe make you throw me out a window of the Senate building. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we have... Uh, that would be a long conversation. So like you said, we'll have to come back to that another time. I could see that being a special episode where we discuss the will of the Force. So Ahsoka now, she is she has gone and looked at the hologram to find out that Rex has filed a grievance on the report of CT5555, one of my all-time favorite Clone Wars characters. And found out that about this plan of the inhibitor chip being inside the clones so that when the time came, they would be forced to betray the Jedi. She finds out that Rex knew about this and he was not happy with the findings of the Jedi Council and of um, the investigation that happened. And she decides she's going to rescue him and that she is going to help him remove his inhibitor chip. And I think that that's about sums up as much as we need to with this episode so we can move into the final episode because... Um, there's action, there's some cool stuff that goes on. Uh, one final line at the end that I thought was so heavy was Rex saying that it's all of us, Ahsoka. The entire Grand Army of the Republic is being ordered to hunt down and kill the Jedi Knights. And then the episode ends. How powerful was that? And the music that just you played... Said. The music that played after it and everything just led you into what you know to be the final episode of the Clone Wars... Victory and Death, which we will discuss now. Wes, go ahead and open up this episode. 
I mean, it, it just picks up right where he left off. I mean, we, we pick up right with Ahsoka and Rex back in that room, and here come the here come the clones. And um, you know, I guess the the saving grace out of this is, and that wasn't touched on at the end. I mean, I guess Rex did pick him up at the end, but these three little droids, man, they <laughs> they hung in there. They they were some troopers. Yeah, and, or, you know, to to a point. Um, it kind of is a callback to the original early on Clone Wars where it had a lot more of the goofy side to it and some fun fun stuff with the droids. And I like that aspect of it. At the same time, I was also like, eh, this doesn't really fit. But What? No. There no? was a beautiful <laughs> way to this. Okay. This, this, this is not was... the void. Not the it's void. not the void. No, it's not that bad. Oh, I, I actually watched an interview with Filoni and Lucas, and he said his favorite, Lucas said his favorite arc was the Void. And <laughs> I, lost, it I lost it. I was like, oh, <laughs> you're a genius. Dang it, George. <laughs> Why you gotta say stuff like that? You're just going crazy. <laughs> George got to be serious. Um, but I think it, it does bring an interesting, interesting idea. The droids have always been the narrators of Star Wars. Uh, to an extent, R2-D2 has. So we see Ahsoka's version of R2 being R7 and these two other droids, Cheap, who is voiced by uh, Dave Filoni with his little Cheap, Cheap, Cheap. I thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she gets these droids to help her escape and they had some cool little comical moments and they were pivotal to her escape. If it weren't for them, she would have died many times. Uh, but but yes, what were we saying? I totally forgot. No, we're no, I mean, we're just... That's good. Go, go ahead, David. Oh, we were just walk, walking through, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was cool when um, Ahsoka says to set their guns to stun, and Rex kind of like begrudgingly does it. Like, all right, whatever. It's not like it matters, but okay. So then they walk through, and he finds out that Maul is has been let go by Ahsoka and says, and Ahsoka said, we need a, div- a diversion. He says, well, that's a word for it. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty interesting. Like, okay. Uh, <laughs> if you say so, Ahsoka. <laughs> and then it cuts to yeah, Maul just staring you, through. Yeah, and it takes you to Maul just, I mean, c- continuing, cutting down, or not even cutting down, just whatever you want to call it, killing clones and killing more clones, and then takes you right into the uh, the hyper, the hyper, whatever you want to call it. The hyperspace uh, engine, uh, hyperdrive engine. Hyperspace engine, yeah. And, uh... Just, I mean, it just shows you how powerful Maul really is. I oh mean, my gosh. We all know he's powerful, but, but good lord. I mean, that was, that was above the <laughs> I mean, he was just flicking clones a lot around like they were nothing, man. And uh, then just to tear down the hyperdrive engine just with using the force, it was so impressive. Like CJ said, it was the intimidation factor was through the roof. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, though. Like, you see how far even Maul's come since mm-hmm. Phantom Menace, him and Ahsoka pulling down a ship. Yeah. Like, you know, they've come a long way. I think I think there's something interesting, and this is just Jake theory, is in times of conflict, the force flows through people more. Like, you heard Maul say, the dark side is stronger than it's ever been. With all of this dark side strength, I think he was just tapping into it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's why we've seen him be so much more powerful than he's been before. And to an extent, that can kind of explain away some of the things we see in Rise of Skywalker and Last Jedi with such times of huge pivotal moments in the Force just warring with itself the light side and the dark can have more uh, I don't know, I may be going down a rabbit hole here 
but just more power to tap into. And that's why we see Palpatine and Rey have all these different interactions that are just so, so much more uh, extravagant than we've seen in movies past. Because I know a lot of people are like, with, as far as continuity goes, they say, oh, these people are too powerful. That's not what we saw from Luke and Obi-Wan and Vader. No, it's not. But I think at the same time, you can kind of explain away those things. Yeah, kind of helps there. Yeah. It, oh, talk about visual effects though. When that ship got pulled out of sp- hyperspace, wasn't that mm-hmm. one of the coolest things that you've ever seen? Just you almost kind of felt it. Yeah. Yeah, that whole setting of of impending doom mm-hmm. of this ship crashing into a moon. They maintained that tension through the whole episode. Absolutely. Don't get tired of it. They did they what did. Last Jedi tried to do. Oh. <laughs> Last Jedi. I mean, it's still hard to top that uh, that hyperspeed ramming. That oh was no, that was sick. That was sick. Um, but you're right, Charlie. You know that everyone on that ship, when that thing lands, they're all going to die. Mm-hmm. There's no way that anyone lives through that. And I think that it also makes this rabid, um, mindless hunt for Ahsoka and Rex so mean so much more. Rex even says that these men are willing to die and take us down with them. There are enough ships and transports on that carrier that everyone could have lived. But the clones say, our mission is to kill this Jedi. And if that means that we stand in this hangar bay until we die so she can't get in a ship, that's what we're going to do. And I just felt like that just carried so much weight. Because that ship was going to die and any of them could have flown out at any moment. And uh, like you said, the tension built through that entire episode was just remarkable any thoughts on that i feel like i'm doing a lot of talking i mean kind of kind of going but since we're we're in the hangar bay now we're talking about it um this might be jumping ahead too far but um well i won't jump there yet so i'll i'll, I'll go into ahsoka and rex's plan uh you know ahsoka ahsoka says she has a plan and it's to tell that to tell to get to tell the clones that oh she's not actually a Jedi like she's okay don't <laughs> kill her and then we get the the real story behind it what Order Six we get the other extra details which I thought was interesting of Order sixty six it's not just the Jedi it's Jedi like and clones who don't obey Order sixty six right. so I thought that was very interesting yeah I think we just get a lot of this whole idea of the Republic is no longer what it once was. And you're seeing this police state, um, this dictatorship who is following the orders of the Chancellor to the T is now ruling over everything just like that with the flip of a switch. And uh, we see how the clones are saying, our lives, nothing matters except for the will of the Chancellor or the Emperor. And we're going to kill you if you don't follow his orders to the T. There's an amazing dissonance in this episode with the blind obedience of the clones and how they're instantaneously stormtroopers and everything we hate about the Empire Mm -hmm. and Ahsoka, who is still trying to be the ideal Jedi. Mm -hmm. I I forget who said it earlier, that she's probably the only real Jedi Mm -hmm. in the whole... And it's like, yeah, that's true. There's this amazing, like forward-looking evil Empire and then this High Republic ideal Jedi... And it's oh that that tension is just amazing. Oh, it's it's so awesome that we're able to maintain the purity of Ahsoka through all of this. She's in the mm-hmm. worst time of her life, and when Rex says, 
why do you not want to kill them? They're here to kill us, and it's pointless. And she says, I know they're going to die and they're willing to die, but I'm not going to be the one to kill them. They are good soldiers just like you are, who have been manipulated, manipulated to be doing this. And I just thought mm. it was so awesome because you think about Ahsoka and her positivity and who she is. And just thinking back to her, if you think about her killing all of these clones, like even just watching Yoda and Obi-Wan do it in Revenge of the Sith was hard mm. to do. Not having to watch Ahsoka do that, seeing Ahsoka take the high road, I mean, to a point, pointless. She knows they're going to die as soon as that, sh- that ship crashes. But she was not going to be living with killing people that she had as friends and uh, brothers in arms for years. And she just wasn't going to do it. I thought that was awesome. And you see a, you see Rex break character. Someone whose brotherhood with his fellow clones was always so strong and so important to him. Just saying, pretty much, let's just kill them or go fight until our death. To me, it kind of seemed like he was just ready to die. He's like, let's just go in there, guns blazing. And... Uh, I, it was. I had personally thought he's going through so much turmoil, and then Ahsoka takes his helmet off. Yeah, it's like the world got too complicated for Rex. Mm-hmm. Like, like <laughs> Rex can't live in this world, so he's like, "All right, I'm gonna do the only thing I know how." Mm-hmm. You know, and then was it that? Takes his helmet off. What was it that though, or was it his admiration for Ahsoka that told him, "Like, I would rather kill all these guys and let them gun you down because I care so much about you." I think like, it's both. Not like. Well, yeah, not like in a lovey-dovey way, but like, like oh, you're okay. you're my friend that we've gone so much together. I will kill whoever it is to make sure you live through this. Oh yeah, there's piles of stuff to get through mm-hmm. on this one. There's with, his with... guilt. Yeah, as part of it. Oh yeah, could you see it when he tries to reason with Jesse? He even says it. He's mm-hmm. like, Jesse, I know you. We've been friends this long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that. The emotional levels on this, the guilt of Rex after he tried to kill Ahsoka, the anger he has with his brothers for still trying to, and all the clone army, the feeling of being so used and so expendable that these relationships that they've built with Jedi over three or four years now is just being totally thrown to the side, and now they are no different than battle droids, mindlessly killing where the commander tells them to point their gun and shoot. Yeah, and you see Jesse buy that argument for a fraction of the second. Mm-hmm. He drops his pistols, mm-hmm. and then like you almost hear the audible click of Order 66. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nope, you're a traitor too. Yep. And, and it's <laughs> so hard to watch because you just we've been built to see these clones as people that we can root for. I mean, we talked about it in a previous episode. You will watch an episode of Clone Wars, and you meet these clones for 15 minutes. And when they die, you're like, ah! No, I mean, just think about Heavy, a clone that we had seen less than 10 minutes of screen time in episode 5 of Clone Wars all the way back 12 years ago. And to this day, we still know his name because of the way this show has made a connection to these clones. Uh, it's a per- They all have the same face. They're not the same people. And now to see them turned into battle droids, essentially, makes this even more of a tragedy than it had been in just Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, it's pretty sad to see that, you know, the Jedi didn't really investigate this more. Because mm-hmm. they could have, you know, prevented it all. Yeah, and I think that it points back to, like we said, the corruption of the Jedi. Seeking this power, mm-hmm. wanting to continue fighting in this war, and not worrying about the trivial things that some clone may bring up. Because we've talked about that too. The morality of it all, the Jedi should not have been using humans bred for war to fight a war. That's just wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. 
Um, but the fact that the Jedi were allowing it, they probably weren't too concerned about whatever this random clone was saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's all very interesting. Um, one thing that we skipped over, I wanted to bring up really quick, a little Easter egg that I always thought was really cool that I I wondered. I said, why did they use Anakin's passcode 8108? What's the reason to say that? Um, so the 881 refers to Hayden Christensen being born in 1981, mm. and the 08 refers to the year Clone Wars started. So nice. just a little thing there. Um, David, what do you have to say? Oh, nothing. Oh, anybody? Yes. I will keep talking forever, so if you don't interrupt me and say something. I have a, yeah. a thought that could be for another podcast, because okay. it could be a huge debate slash topic. What should the Jedi's role have been during this war yeah. if, they, if they're not supposed to be fighting? And, and I think um, I kind of briefly touched on it. You can serve the role of a soldier, but you can't let it be your identity. And mm. that's what they became. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, the Republic had judicials. It mm -hmm. was their job to enforce the law. The mm -hmm. Jedi were arbitrators. Right. You know, Grievous even acknowledges Obi-Wan. You know, here's this famous negotiator. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. yeah. Well, I think one thing, they shouldn't have made been made military generals. I think yeah. that what happened with the Battle of Mandalore is what how this war should have been gone. There should have been a military that had generals and had officers. And the Jedi serving as... Um, advisors, just like Ahsoka did. When a Jedi needs to come into the situation, you can request an advisor from the Jedi Order to come in and help. Then maybe that's how it should have gone. But I digress. David, what'd you have to say? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that, that is really how it should have been. Oh, I thought you were raising your hand to say something. N I mean, not too much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Wesley. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm reading through. So I got two two things. I'm reading through the the new Jedi Order right now and going through the Yuuzhan Vong. And one of the big conflicts going on right now in the in the book I'm reading is Luke Skywalker is kind of with in conflict with his uh with the other Jedi in the area. They they don't know what their role should be. Kind of like this exactly. They don't know what their role should be in this Yuuzhan Vong war. Mm -hmm. And Luke's Luke's main thing is we. We can't be, draw ourselves into be soldiers. Mm -hmm. We have to be defenders. We cannot be the aggressors. We have to be. We have to defend the peace. We can't. We have to be peacekeepers, defending mm -hmm. the peace. So, so that's my one. Number two, which is a little lighter. Um, whenever those droids were shot down, all I could think about was Ayla Secura getting shot down on Utapau <laughs> or Felucia or. Full Felucia. I was like, oh my. Like, that hurt. That hurt real deep. Man, you guys made a much stronger connection to these droids than I did. <laughs> um, well, I know one of, the, one of the droids for a split second I thought could have been uh, Chopper. Chopper. Yeah. Yep. But after, of course, he, uh, they all died. I, I, <laughs> that wasn't the case. No, Chopper was found. Um, they explained in Rebels he was a y-wing droid that crashed on ryloth and uh hera found him during the clone wars so when she was a kid um okay so here we are anakin or i'm sorry rex and ahsoka are addressing jesse and the droids drop the lifts and all the clones fall down to a plummeting fall of 50 feet and stand back up somehow 
but um, without breaking their legs with, yeah totally fine no broken ankles they all stand back up but anyways it thins the herd a little bit so ahsoka and rex can do their uh sword and shield maneuver where one blocks and the other just fires a flurry of stun shots back at the clones as they're trying to ready a, a shuttle to leave um and there's just a lot of action going here and a sense of hopelessness as the ship continues to plummet to the moon um everyone getting closer to their death the ship is being more and more torn apart amazing action sequences um Um, i'm going to bring up one awesome part where she throws her lightsabers into the ground and spins mm -hmm. them in a circle oh my gosh that was was amazing Uh, a lot of amazing acrobatics i mean so many awesome things that happen we could talk about the action forever but I think we need to get to the final scene. Um, yeah. The scene of Ahsoka also flying through air to get to the Y-Wing. Amazing. Oh. Stopping Maul's ship mid-air and holding on to it. Mm. I mean, it was like her just holding on. Letting it go. I know. It was so cool, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Talk about yeah, why that was so cool, to... Charlie. Oh. oh, because she... Okay, so there's like a thousand things happening in that scene. But she lets Maul go so she can save Rex. Mm-hmm. But then she also lets Maul go because that's that doesn't matter anymore. Right. Like the like the point of this. What's the point of of killing Maul right now? What's the point of of doing anything outside of what's happening in this moment? And then there's just this whole idea that there's going to be another time. Like mm-hmm. this isn't the time. She recognizes that. So she there's a whole bunch of letting go in that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's and yeah, you can see it's it not, in her face. Yes, the and decision. the way that she she literally with her hands lets it go. She yeah. doesn't just drop them, you know. It's yeah, that and you was can, You can see how Maul is kind of surprised when he gets away. Like she just let me go, and you can see so it in his face. So there's a ton of debate about that on YouTube and some of the reviews oh, really? about whether Maul was sad or regretful, or or if Maul showed any type of emotion in that. And it's it is it is legitimately some hot takes out there. Really, I have to look into it. Um, so they they have no escape now, and they're frantically looking for some way to get off. Rex finds a Y-Wing, which is really cool because one of the first episodes that Ahsoka was ever in, uh, she is piloting a Y-Wing. I thought that was a cool call callback. Um, but Ahsoka and Rex are getting away, and she has an awesome scene where the show the ship is getting closer and closer to the ground, and she's running around on debris of this ship, which is all coming down. It's such a visually amazing scene. And she finally gets there, and the ship crashes to its doom. All the clones die. And we get brought to this scene of Ahsoka and Rex burying the clones, once again solidifying these are men that we respect and honor. And these are men and soldiers who are not mindless droids, even though that's how they died. These are men that we love and that we respect, and we're going to respect them with the funeral and a burial. And uh, we get to see the end of the Clone Wars era, the end of these clones' life, the end of the Clone Wars show, in a respectful looking back as Ahsoka and Rex are sitting there about to part ways. I thought it was a beautiful scene. And the music and the lack of dialogue also just makes your mind run with it. Heartbreaking. Yeah, it was actually it was pretty cool to notice how the ship in the background for a, much of the scene was just a straight up drawing, not even like a, a mm-hmm. rendering, which mm-hmm. I kind of liked. Once it was it still added a, mm-hmm. a somberness to the shot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the complete lack of color. 
Yeah. And then in the rest of it after, you know, I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves here, but like, yeah, there's, there's a stark use of contrasting color that is just on point. One thing I want to bring up that I think that Revenge of the Sith and these two episodes mirror so well with each other is the lack of hope. And I think that this white planet and this lack of color and everything kind of points to that. There's just a void of any kind of hope at this point in the galaxy. No one thinks there's a way coming out of it. When Yoda was defeated by Palpatine, instead of saying, let's rally our forces, find what Jedi are still alive, let's try to gather something so that we can prevent this, maybe team up together against Palpatine, he just says, I have to go into hiding. And for 20 years, Yoda does nothing but sit on a bump on a log. (laughs) Because he literally had lost hope. And same thing, Obi-Wan, instead of going and helping out the Rebellion that he knows is being formed by Bail Organa, goes and watches Luke. Now, he has some purpose to it, of course. But it's not like he waits five years and starts training him like they had with all other Jedi. He didn't train this boy for 20 years. The Jedi yeah, were in a state of hopelessness. Yeah, task to do, too. What's that? Well, Yoda gave Obi-Wan a yes. task, too, to, you know, to learn to commune with Qui-Gon. Absolutely. I mean, so it's not like Obi-Wan was... To, he was becoming the most powerful Jedi in the light side of the Force. And we're going to get to see that story, which I'm really excited for. Mm. Yes. Oh, yes. Um... But I just think that this point of right after Revenge of the Sith, when Yoda loses to Palpatine, the lack of hope, lack of hope, the lack of hope that Ahsoka and Rex now have on this void planet, where they know that everyone that they know is either dead or trying to kill them, um, it just creates this sense of hopelessness, and it makes the return of the light side of the Force and the rebellion when Luke comes and becomes that new hope, to me it makes that moment so much more impactful than it ever was. Uh, Just because I now have a newfound respect for just how dire the straits were that they were, the galaxy was in for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, It was all or nothing. Yeah. I mean, you see it in the way that the characters, well, like especially Han Solo, Mm -hmm. the, the way that he interacts with the Jedi you know, it's like he's probably typical of the galaxy at large. Mm-hmm. And if you read some of the Disney canon stuff, like Lost Stars and some other things that take place in that that interim, yeah, it's like they purposefully etch a sketch all of that history. Right. So it's this is just the norm. This is the way that it is. And, Either and you, if you're a fan of the Jedi, you have no hope of anything to change. And if you're not, you're thinking, hey, things are great. We now have this empire that we are all on board with, and we have all this power and peace, but the people who understand the situation, (laughs) things are terrible. And I think it's really well done. Yeah, Catalyst, Mm -hmm. uh, the Rogue One novel, does a really good job of of preaching that. Yeah. I think that's another thing, too. Rogue One does a uh, a great service to Star Wars by saying, you know, the state of the galaxy. Because I think that... And a lot in Star Wars, we just see two militaries warring against each other. We don't see a lot of the, uh, the citizen side of things and what the state of the galaxy actually is. I mean, you hear the people who are in the military saying, oh, the galaxy is torn apart. You don't actually really see a lot of it, though. And I think that's something that the Clone Wars has done so well to create that sense of what we're actually seeing in the Star Wars galaxy. And then there's even a step beyond that, where the Clone Wars isn't necessarily about the Clone Wars. It's about Rex and Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. It's about Ahsoka and Anakin. It's such a microscopic view Mm -hmm. of something, but it's couched so well in that greater context. So, 
we see Ahsoka with her shroud that she wears in Rebels about to about to leave and she drops her lightsaber that Ahsoka, uh, the Anakin had just given to her to the ground to sell the idea that she's dead with these clones and also because of I think the death of her of being a Jedi you know what I mean it kind of symbolizes that mm-hmm. uh, her life that she's known has now died and she's leaving that lightsaber to die with her uh, along with those clones and just seeing those clones that with the recognizable helmet of um, Jesse and the helmets that she had that they had created to honor her and then also you see some shiny helmets too I thought that was really cool with this arc seeing a lot more clones who had no paint on them kind of reinforcing the idea that Kamino was just churning out clone after clone after clone to replace the clones that continue to die and you get to see a lot more of these iterations of uh, the idea that there are just clones dying and being replaced every day um, I thought that that was really well done and Rex and Ahsoka are about to leave, and then we know Ahsoka eventually will go get involved with the Rebellion, and Rex goes and retires and fishes for the next ten years. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's what happens in Rebels, at least. So <laughs> Rex is like, I'm done with this stuff. I'm going to go fish with my buddies. <laughs> but that's the end of the Clone Wars. Until... I, honestly, that is the end of the Clone Wars itself. Yeah. And a new age is ushered in. And we see, as Ahsoka's face fades away, the Imperial shuttle slowly descends on the planet's surface. And I think all of us knew who was inside that shuttle as soon as we saw it. And uh, immediately you see stormtroopers roaming about the planet, scavenging the wreckage. And you hear the ominous breathing of Darth Maul, or Darth Vader. And he marches toward the burial scene. I just, this whole time, goosebumps for this whole scene. I mean, could this have ended more perfectly? I don't think so. Correct me if I'm wrong, though, Jake. Um, In the Ahsoka novel, doesn't it say Ahsoka buries her lightsabers? And did she bury both of them? Yes, it does. They retconned a few things. Yeah, and that was supposed to happen on Mandalore, Mm -hmm. and it was, yeah, they, they definitely rearranged some of that stuff but i actually probably for the better yeah i would agree this is is really yeah it doesn't change ahsoka's arc in the novel Mm -mm. but it it it's a tidier story i think i would agree i'm Um, good with it i'm totally fine with the with it as well um in the novel she had buried her um lightsabers right next to a body that was supposed to be hers and next to a grave that was marked with captain rex on it so that the idea was that rex had killed her and in the process had also died so that Mm -hmm. neither of them would be looked for um but i like this ending more as well i feel like the mystery of what may or may have not happened um by anyone who finds that situation i mean i think that it's not like oh she survived because we can't find a body i'm not sure many bodies would survive that crash if you know what i mean (laughs) yeah so Right. And Vader knows, right? Can we just all say that Vader knows? You think Vader Is knows it? she's alive? Oh, yeah. See, Anakin, I've really Anakin thought about it quite Mortis. a bit. He knows what the... Yeah. And and then look... When, you mean when with the, the Morai? Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, he was there for all of that. He understands that, you know, Joe Blow Stormtrooper doesn't know that. You know, Joey Bag of Donuts Snowtrooper isn't going to figure that out. But Anakin Skywalker, he knows what's what. I mean, See, and when he holds his lightsaber, he doesn't have Sith eyes. He knows. He totally knows. Well, I don't know. I couldn't really see the color of his eyes through the... I, you can see his eyes through the thing, 
But I think that you bring up a very interesting point. I've heard some people say this is where Anakin fully became Darth Vader. Uh, it was like the final nail in his coffin where he says, you know, my, my apprentice has died and I'm fully turned to the dark side now. Other people think, does he think that Ahsoka might still be alive? Because he saw the, um, what's that creature called? It's called a... Uh, the the Corinna? It's called a Convor. A Convor, there it is. Uh, its name but is Mori. It, yeah, it points back to the Mortis arc, that bird that you see flying overhead. Yeah, when, yeah the, the light side. Yes. When um, you look at the Mortis arc and you see the daughter who is the embodiment of the light side, this Convor bird named Mori is supposed to represent her, right? And when Ahsoka died originally in that arc, or was dying, the essence of the daughter was given, the life essence was given to her, much like this whole thing that we've seen with Rey and Kylo Ren happening in uh, Rise of Skywalker. So, with Ahsoka being left on this planet, we see this convoy flying overhead, and I think it symbolizes two things. It could symbolize two things. It could symbolize the death of Ahsoka as a Jedi, or it could symbolize that she's still alive. Um... Because if you look at Rebels, when Vader kills Ahsoka, um, that convoy was there as as well. And he did kill her, right? He sliced straight through her. It wasn't until later when, like, when we see Vader walk out of there, I'm convinced that he had walked out of there knowing he killed Ahsoka in Rebels in the, the Twilight of the Apprentice episode. But when, mm-hmm. but when we then see that convoy overhead... To me, I thought, is that symbolizing that Ahsoka is still alive? And then we find out that Ezra uses the world between worlds to save her, goes back in time and saves her. So I think that it l- lends some the credence. the between worlds, there's an... Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it lends some credence to what Charlie's saying. Does Vader recognize that his Padawan is still alive when he sees that convoy? I think it very well may. So then is that... When, when is that moment, Is I guess, is the key... You mean this moment in in Rebels? In uh, at the end of Clone Wars, the 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 series finale. Oh, okay, gotcha. So this moment in Clone Wars that takes place while the Empire exists, I would say, happens before he meets Ahsoka again, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because this there's there's some timeline stuff here, like when when Vader gets his and constructs his own lightsaber. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some comic book stuff out there that that goes through that whole story well, arc and how that. So there's a there's a there's a time frame fairly established for this. But what do you, what do you mean that, as far as the lightsaber part goes? So in the scene, Vader has his proper lightsaber on like his belt, his bladed lightsaber on his belt. Oh, yeah. oh, gotcha. Okay, yes, yeah. Yes. And there's a mm-hmm. there's a whole comic book story arc about how he constructs his lightsaber, mm-hmm. and it's like. It's not an immediate thing. It's not like Palps gives him one from his desk drawer. Time has and, clearly passed over this. Yeah, so there's a minimum established time frame here. Um, but but again, like that doesn't give you that just gives you a lower limit. Mm-hmm. That doesn't say that this couldn't take place. There know, was a whole and, lot of snow on that ship. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of time yeah. passed. So the rust in the helmet, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was all uh, very poetic. Yeah. I saw a really good quote. I wish I could take credit for this quote, and I, I forgot to cite where I got it from. 
but it it was talking about that when he's walking away from it. it says the masked iconography of the original trilogy walking away from the masked iconography of its prequels mm-hmm. and it's like ah oh, it's a turning point man absolutely you get to see so many things in that final shot the final shot of the mask of the clone trooper with ahsoka painted on it and vader walking away in the reflection of the visor it does multiple things for me it shows the humanity of the clones Mm-hmm. and how they connected to their Jedi and to Ahsoka. You get to see Anakin in the Clone Wars, this hero that we loved. When you see his eyes through the through the uh, the Vader's mask, you get to see that character and the conflict that he's gone through and the monster that he's become as he's become Darth Vader. You get to see his apprentice of Ahsoka, that he is looking into her markings. I think of it as him thinking about his relationship with her and his time with her. And then the death of all of that. And as you see Vader walking away, it's leaving the era of the Clone Wars, entering the era of Galactic Civil War and the Empire. And I just felt like it just totally wrapped up this Clone War so perfectly. Um, the death of an era, the death of a, a group of people in the Jedi and the clones have now been replaced by the Stormtroopers so instantly. The clones filled their purpose to kill the Jedi and have now been replaced uh, I just felt like it was so masterfully done. I, as far as what I had to say, I think we've mostly covered it. I'll leave the floor open to you guys to any specific notes from the Clone Wars in general, from how this creates to, how this relates to Star Wars, to this arc of the specific episode. Anything you guys want to add? Now is your time. I'll just say, uh, you know, this was definitely my favorite arc out of any Clone Wars. Uh, uh, episode ever i think um these these past three four were just fantastic and i think uh um i think john even said it earlier um you know i think the shows and this includes rebels really leaves even a better it leaves it open for more stories even better than the movies ever did mm-hmm. um you know rebels left the door open for what happens with sabine what happens with ahsoka what happens with ezra and and, and Thrawn. Uh, Thrawn. Mm-hmm. Clone Wars leaves it open. What happens with? I mean, obviously they have the Ahsoka novel, but you know, what does Rex do? What does Vader do in his short time between episodes? Well, in his time between three and four, there's just so much that they leave the door open that that makes you want more. That the the movies don't really, you know, make you wonder. You know, what happens after this? You know, you you really know what's going to happen. Yeah, so and I think that's I think that's something that it just stems back to George Lucas. Um, he was the person who created these stories that have the story itself is so great, but it just makes you wanting more and asking, well, what about all the stuff that happened before this and stuff that happens after? And that's why we have this amazing universe. I mean, there's so many sci-fi movies that have ever been made. Has anything created something so huge to where after every story ends, you wonder what the rest of the story is? How amazing is, uh, accomplishment is that? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I'm trying to think about the notes that I wrote down and certain things I wanted to say. I think we honestly got through pretty much everything. Um, I'm so excited. I think that if you haven't watched Rebels, Mm -hmm. this is an argument to go watch it because it does tell a lot more of the story of what happens next. It's not, Mm. in my opinion, I know Dave likes Rebels more. My opinion, I like the Clone Wars more, um, especially with this the final few seasons, just how well it was done. Um, 
But there's some really awesome tie-ins that Rebels have to the movies and to Clone Wars. That, yes, the show is more childish, and the art, in my opinion, is much worse. And I think the production value is just not as... They yeah. don't spend as much money on it, either. But I think that the stories that you do find the gems in those episodes, uh, to me, are well worth watching. Well, and then with, with both Clone Wars and Rebels, they never decrease in storytelling value it, it only goes up mm-hmm. both shows without a doubt and and i'm i'm watching rebels right now i'm in season three and just the the more it goes on it just continues to get better just like john just said cj you got anything to say you've been surprisingly quiet it's not like you <laughs> yeah, no not at all uh well i had something you guys kind of just touched on it but uh i just finished rebels and one of the things that I noticed, it's similar with this, both of these start off as Disney shows like Disney XD and mm-hmm. Cartoon Network, right? And they're really geared more towards kids. Mm-hmm. But especially with the Clone Wars, the last two episodes especially, you can kind of see the the more mature shift that they change to as time goes on. And especially the last one, like, the last one, if you look at it without seeing it, it shouldn't really be that suspenseful. You already know what's going to happen. There's six movies after it right you know the plot but the way they're able to use cinematography and the music and other elements that aren't really kid-friendly to convey emotion in the story i think makes it really really excellent yeah and then even uh with rebels they do that shift not quite as good but it's still better and just the way that they're able to like mature the story as it goes on and really cover like darker, more intense elements of what this would actually be like and how it actually affects people mm-hmm. is just really well done. And how often is it that you can know exactly how a story ends? I mean, because the nerds that we all are, we know where Ahsoka goes. We know what happens to Re- Rex for the most part. We've read the book. We've we've seen Rebels. We know what happens to these characters. We know the Order 66 is coming. I mean, there's so many things happening. A lot of things that shows rely on is people anticipating what may happen that they don't know is going to happen. And then being able to surprise people, you know? Clone Wars, the last four episodes, for the most part, haven't been able to rely on that. Yet they have told one of the most compelling and interesting stories that I've ever watched. Because they were pushing that tension and the idea of knowing what's coming and use that to their advantage to tell a story that to us we just were living on the blade's edge for the last four episodes i thought yeah, it was done it so is well not rushing it too mm-hmm. like the moment where you see like the end where they're walking away where you see darth vader walking away or when uh order 66 happens i think some people who would make this might be tempted to rush into it but they really do a good job of using like the music Mm-hmm. and the silence between characters to just kind of go into it in a way that's like where you feel it. There was a lot uh, of silence between between characters and conversations that I thought just made this so much better. Leaving you mm-hmm. time to think and process what you were watching instead of having to think about the new words coming in. Right. I just ma- felt like every word that was said carried so much more weight. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, unless you have anything to add, I think that about does it. Any final, any final notes? Can't wait I, for Mandalorian. I am. Yeah. There you go, Wes. 
I cannot wait for Mandalorian. If you haven't watched the making of The Mandalorian, the newest uh, episode that came out on uh, Disney Plus today, I highly encourage you to go do it. Actually, that's something I want to talk about really quickly. Um, in the making of The Mandalorian docuseries, the first episode came out today, it talked about directors. Uh, all the teams of directors that went into making this project and how it was a big collaboration. They got their own individual episodes to work through. It was done really well, and the process they used was cool. But as all the other directors started talking about Dave Filoni and how much of an amazing force he was to work with because of his passion for Star Wars, one one director, I think it was Deborah Chow, said he seems like the person that knows what is right and what is wrong for Star Wars. And to me, that just was like, you're absolutely right. He is the person that needs to carry Star Wars on into the future. And I hope that Disney recognizes that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as he gets more and more involved with live action. So go ahead and watch that. And I do want to announce that Swinging Bunt Baseball Podcast slash Star Wars Podcast is going to be breaking into two individual podcasts starting this fall. When The Mandalorian comes out, we will be starting our own Star Wars podcast with its own title. And it will not be have to just be stamped onto the baseball podcast at the end. So please keep your eye open for that, and we'll give you guys news as that gets developed more. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on. CJ, John, David, Wes, Charlie. Um, we'll have to get together a few more times before the new show comes out and talk about some of those things we discussed. Um, and uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on this ride the last 12 weeks. I've really enjoyed sharing our passion with you guys. It's been a really good time. Uh, Wes, it's been fun to work on this after our baseball podcast. So, everyone, for the group, I want to say thank you for listening. Clone Wars is one of my all-time favorite shows. Star Wars is a passion of ours. We hope to continue to spread it to all of you guys in the near future. As always, may the Force, or I should say may the Fourth, be with you. Goodbye.